friends, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Please join in our call to worship. The world says only certain places are sacred. God says you are standing on holy ground. The world says you must be extraordinary. God says see what I can do with ordinary things. The world says we are lost, doomed to wander alone in the wilderness. God says you are my beloved. I have called you by name and you are mine. and mindful of the promises that holds, let us together pray our prayer of confession. Gracious God, hear our prayer. For the right roads we have avoided traveling and the kindly words we have refused to share. For the false gods who have received our worship and the true selves we have starved of love. God, by your grace, forgive us. For the hidden hurts we have held too tightly, and the promises which we never kept. For the careless use of our time and money, and the pitiful excuses we should never have made. God, by your grace, forgive us. For all we should be, and all we can amend. God, by your grace, renew us. For all you have in store for us, 
and all you may demand of us, God, by your grace, prepare us for the life of the world and the love of its people. God, by your grace, commit us. that are trustworthy and true. Whatever you have done, whatever you have failed to do, whoever you are, whoever you may one day still become, you are welcome, you are accepted, you are forgiven, you are loved forever by the very creator of the world. And there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that can ever change that. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel in Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. remind ourselves what God's love asks of us. Someone asked Jesus, teacher, which is the greatest commandment? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Friends, we have been reminded of God's great reconciliation toward us and with us. Let us remind one another of our reconciliation and peace with one another. The peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Share some sign of Christ's peace with one another.
welcome once again to worship on this Lord's Day, this celebration of the Lord's Baptism Sunday. Jesus assures us that where two or three are gathered, surely he is in their midst, and so we are confident that the Lord is in this place today. Whether you are a longtime member or a first-time visitor, we are glad that you are here. Your presence among us today makes us better, and it is our hope that any time any of you pass through these doors that you would receive something that changes you, something that comforts you or challenges you, something that offers that which you are most in need of on this day. If you are seated near the ends of the pews and have not yet, but have access to that maroon pew pad, we ask that you sign your name and pass it to those seated near you. As it goes across and back again, if there are names that are unfamiliar to you, make note of that and make an effort to greet folks before they leave today so that everyone might feel at home here at Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church. As you are doing that, just a few announcements. There are several printed in your order of service, which we invite you to take a look at. Our Music on Madison concert series continues today at 3 p.m. Youth Fellowship and Service picks up again after the break. Fridays for Children, Friday Night Fireside Jazz. We hope to see lots of you there. A reminder that our Senior Fellowship Lunch is today after this service. So at 1 o'clock downstairs in the Parish Hall, we hope that many of you will join us. That means that our Confirmation class will meet on the 8th floor at 1 o'clock today. If you have questions about this or anything else in the ministry and mission of this church, please feel free to ask any of us uh, before you leave today. With everything going on, it is a gift and a privilege to have some time to turn our hearts and our minds now to the Word of God. A reading from Isaiah, chapter 42, verses 1 through 9. But first, please join me in prayer. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his teaching. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. 
Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. them with water a little bit of water not much because we believe it doesn't take much and we use the water because one that's what John the Baptist used in the Bible on Jesus and other people you'll hear about that in children's worship or from Jenny and two because it marks us as Christ's own it shows that we belong to God and God claims us even before we know how to respond in faith 
Now, do we baptize in private so only your family is here? Or do we baptize with... Right? We do it in front of the whole congregation. And we do that because the whole community is making a promise to be friends with and to grow in faith with the infants and the children and the adults. So later on in the sermon, some of you might hear this, Jenny will say that um, we should come during communion and touch the water, and maybe we can put it on our foreheads and say we are a child of God, or at least to remember our baptism or a baptism that is coming in a month, right? So can you pray with me? Loving God, you make us as your own. You mark us as your own and claim us with love. May we shine that love into the world. Amen. If you are in second grade and below, you are welcome to go with Tana and Sarah back to children's worship. Okay? Thank you. Our New Testament lesson comes from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now. For it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you have ever felt like not enough, this story is for you. But we'll come back to that. We're beginning a new series this week, Sacred Ordinary Days. After all of the hectic holiness of the holidays, after the frantic activity that accompanies Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year, after all of that has settled down into the regular routine, that regular routine can seem awfully ordinary. Now when we aren't in the midst of a special liturgical season like Advent or Lent, we call it just that, ordinary time. That term actually refers back to how we count Sundays. We number them. Ordinary time comes from ordinal. It's a way of arranging a collection of things, a way to identify one distinctly, but to do so in relation to all the others. 
It's not actually meant to imply any sort of evaluation on how special one Sunday might be over another. But our human nature tends to fight against that. In some ways, ordinary time is the middle child of the liturgical year, at least if we allow ourselves to indulge in a few stereotypes for just a minute. Advent seems to me like the firstborn. Advent always gets mentioned. It's an overachiever with packed pews, candles, and wreaths, and it leads us into Christmas. There are rules to follow, and Advent does not break the rules. When the bows are put on the wreaths, when to light a purple candle versus a pink candle, and when the hymns can appropriately turn into carols. Lent, then, might be the youngest, the baby of the family, stirring up some sort of attention with far fewer rules, even slipping under the radar for a number of traditions. As Lent makes way for Easter, when resurrection is afoot and everything we thought we knew, like death and sorrow and sighing, end up vanquished forever, Well, Lent and Easter, they will lull you into thinking you know what to expect, and then all of the rules will change. Ordinary time is the name given to all of the Sundays in between, and anyone who is a middle child or has a middle child knows that sometimes that's the description. You're not the oldest, and you're not the youngest. Ordinary time is when it's not Advent or Christmas or Lent or Easter. It's the Sundays in between those fancy days that carry us from one to another. But middle children, do not despair and do not be afraid. Ordinary time carries with it a holiness and a sacredness all its own. Now, ordinary time might also be the language we use to describe the makeup of our daily living. Waking up, washing our faces, brushing our teeth, going to work, walking to school, running errands, greeting one another, chasing kids, making dinner, doing the laundry. All of that can seem ordinary. But here is what I hope we'll discover together in these coming weeks, that just as our liturgical ordinary time is infused with more goodness and grace than we might sometimes realize, so too are the ordinary moments of our daily routine. In other words, there is nowhere, not one part of our lives, where God is not. The word became flesh, John's Gospel tells us, and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. That's what incarnation means. And to some ears, I suppose it might sound untheological or unsophisticated or undignified even. But according to our faith, that is the way things are. Presbyterian pastor Frederick Beekner, he puts it this way. He says, all religions and philosophies that deny the reality or the significance of the material, 
the earthbound and the ordinary, they themselves are denied. Moses at the burning bush was told to take off his shoes because the ground on which he stood was holy ground. And incarnation means that all ground is holy ground. Because God not only made it, but walked on it, and ate and slept and worked and died on it. One of the blunders that religious people are particularly fond of making, he says, is the attempt to be more spiritual than God. In other words, trying to separate out the spiritual from the secular, the ordinary from the extraordinary, that is not only to labor in vain, it is to labor in significant misunderstanding. There may be no better place to remember all of this than in the story of Jesus' baptism. Up until now in Matthew's Gospel, others have carried the storyline. Mary and Joseph, the Magi, Herod, John the Baptist. The way that Matthew tells it, Jesus himself has done absolutely nothing special Nothing even worth recording other than being born. And yet when he comes up from that water, the heavens are opened and a voice says, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. How can this possibly be if he has not healed anyone yet? He hasn't resisted Satan in the wilderness. He hasn't walked on water. He hasn't even restocked the bar at a wedding celebration. All of that comes later. All that he has done to this point, as best we can tell, is go about the daily business of everyday life. And for this, he is beloved. By this, God is well-pleased. Yes, it is true for Jesus, and the same is true for us. In our tradition, baptism is grace. It is all grace. We are counted as God's children before we have anything to show for ourselves. It is available to each and every one of us before we know it, before we doubt it, before we confess it or sing it, certainly before we understand it, before anything else. We are beloved by God. Grace always comes first. If you have ever felt like you weren't enough, grace insists otherwise. Grace means that you are enough, always, just by virtue of being. Now, I imagine that as you came into this space today, you saw our baptismal font. I say that in part because of its size. As Presbyterian fonts go, it is enormous. And I say that in part because of its location. The truth is, no matter what happens up here, you can't see any of it without also seeing the font. We see everything through the font. We see nothing 
without it, and that is how God sees us. When God sees us, before anything else, before anything specific, God sees a beloved with whom he is well pleased. My friend Sarah grew up in a preacher's home, which meant she went to church twice every Sunday and a few more times during the week. But she is quick to tell you that it was not in the sanctuary that she learned what her baptism meant. Her mother, who for the record was not the one who earned a living by preaching, would wake Sarah up every day and say, Get up, go wash your face, and remember your baptism. And when she would call her family to dinner each evening, she would say, Go wash your hands and remember your baptism. Anytime the activity included water, no matter how mundane, the instruction still came, remember your baptism. Sarah says, it probably sounds silly, but in middle school, when I felt invisible or worse, inept, I would find a water fountain in the hallway And I would watch that water burst up in the air and arc back down again. And I would hear those words, remember your baptism. And she says, just in case that doesn't sound silly enough yet, I will tell you, I do it still today. You or Sarah may think it sounds silly, but I think it sounds sacred. I know that a number of you feel overwhelmed by the world these days. It is literally and figuratively on fire. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to think. I don't know what to pray is a common refrain. Remember your baptism isn't bad guidance right now. Do you remember what Jesus said when he was baptized? He said, it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Now, traditional scholarship has long asserted that Jesus' baptism signals his humility. His humility in submitting both to God's call over his life and submitting to John's authority in the community. And scholarship has also long asserted that John's activity at the Jordan implied a vote of low confidence in the Jerusalem authorities. You see, before John spoke of and offered repentance in the river, such things were only available in the temple, where they were under the eyes of the authorities, where they were subject to the right circumstance. John talking of repentance outside of the temple and Jesus meeting him there and saying, I'm going to be a part of this. Jesus walking into the water and saying, let it be so this way. They were declaring, both of them, that God's redemptive activity can be found anywhere and everywhere. So wherever God's redemptive activity is needed most, it will be found there. 
Martin Luther, whenever he felt overwhelmed by the powers of evil in the world, he would say to himself, Martin, remember that you are baptized. And he would remember that to trust in his baptism meant to trust that Jesus is Lord. And to trust that Jesus is Lord is to trust that nothing and no one else is. And that is to trust that the waters of baptism wash down not only over us, but over everything that is in flames around us. Now make no mistake, to trust in that promise that the waters of baptism will rush down and carry us toward righteousness and toward God's promised day is not passive activity. It's like our font right there. You cannot see anything else without first seeing this. Everything here is seen through the eyes and promise of our baptism. And what if we lived that way every day? What if we looked at one another that way? What if we remembered our baptism every time we encounter another person? A friend of mine, he attends a church where every Sunday in the announcements, the pastor says, By being here today, we do not presume that you are Christian. It is simply our hope and our commitment that we will be Christian to you. What if every time we remembered our baptism, we remembered that to be Christian is to show the love of Christ to everyone we meet, regardless of who they are, where they come from, what they struggle with, what tradition they claim, what color their skin. What if it were always our hope and our commitment that we would be Christian to everyone we meet? Rebecca told you, the font up here, it is full of water today. It is filled more than it usually is even, and not because we're baptizing anyone, but because Jesus is inviting us always to remember our baptism. So when you come forward for communion, or after the service has ended, you are welcome to come and dip your hands in it. You are welcome to splash around a bit, if you like. You are invited to touch the water for yourself and be reminded that the promise of God is tangible. And don't be shy about it. You don't have to be holy to touch it. It's just water. It is ordinary water straight from the tap. It is ordinary water for ordinary people. It's only the reminder that's extraordinary. Which means, I suppose it's nothing special. But it is everything we need. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray.
Amen. remain standing as you are able, and let us together confess the faith of the Church using the words of the Apostles' Creed as you find it printed in your bulletins. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. Let us join our hearts in prayer. Eternal God, as Isaiah reminds us, you have created us, given us breath and spirit, called us, taken us by the hand, and kept us. Trusting in your never-failing love, we come to you with our prayers for this troubled world and nation, our community and church, those we love, and ourselves. Lord, in your mercy, Hear our prayer. God of compassion, be with all who struggle or suffer, those who lost loved ones and homes in yesterday's storms, the people of Puerto Rico whose homes and communities have been devastated once again by the earthquakes, 
the people of Australia who are losing those they love, their homes and communities, their wildlife and land to the devastating fires. We pray for all who hunger, all fleeing violence or extreme poverty, all who seek shelter, safety, and opportunity. Sustain them, provide them with the support and resources they need, and inspire us to help meet their needs. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for our nation and its leaders. May they turn aside from greed for power and wealth, seek the truth, and govern with integrity and compassion. Help us to be responsible citizens, committed to creating a country and society where all are treated equally, and the well-being of all our neighbors is our priority. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for the leaders and peoples of other nations who are also our neighbors. May those in positions of power seek peace and earnestly pursue it. We pray especially for the people of the Middle East. Give all of our leaders the will to back away from violence and war. May we find a way to peace with Iran and in Iraq and Afghanistan. We pray for those serving our country in the area, in the military, or in embassies. We pray for the families and communities of all who have died as a consequence of the escalating tensions and acts of war, especially those whose loved ones died when the plane was shot down. Be with all of us in other countries and here at home who live with increasing anxiety and fear. Help us to live in hope, hope that inspires us to speak and work for peace. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Zambia and our church partners in the Synod of Harare in Zimbabwe as their countries face drought and extreme economic hardship. Strengthen and sustain them. May they find the resources they need to survive and recover. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for those who are sick in body, struggling in mind, or disheartened in spirit. Those in the hospital, hospice care, or rehab. Those who are homebound or in long-term care. Remembering today Al Johnson, Marjorie Norris, Luis Rodriguez, Robert Morton Heller, Margaret Davies, Sally Jaggard, Clara Weber, Jean Weinberg, and Catherine Rossman. Bring healing in body, mind, or spirit, and the peace and comfort of your presence. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for all who grieve the loss of one they love, remembering those known to this congregation, the families and friends of Barbara Shane, Graham Mall, and Eusebia Avila. Comfort them, give them your peace, and the sure hope of the resurrection. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Hear our prayers, give us hope, guide and shape us that we may know you more fully, love you more dearly, and serve you completely. In Christ we pray. Amen. Now let us respond to God's abundance by offering our gifts and tithes.
Jesus said, whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. And so you are welcome, as God has meant it to be. So come and feast, you who are from near and far, or you who are from rural towns and urban developments. Come and gather, you who seek justice and you who simply want things to get better. Come to this table, you who have much faith and you who may have questions. Simply come and touch the water of grace and know you are welcome here at this table. The Lord be with you. And also Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Gracious God, you made the world and everything in it and called it good. And then you made us and called us very good. That is reason enough to thank you and praise you. But throughout generations, you have given us countless reason more. You led our ancestors through trials and wilderness and brought us out on the other side. You gave wisdom to the judges of ancient times who taught us to do what was right in your eyes. And you instilled fiery conviction in the prophets who were bold enough to tell us the truth about ourselves and the truth about you. And were that not enough, your grace kept going and your love kept reaching new heights. You gave us your son, Jesus, who taught us what we can do with our lives and who showed us what can be done even in death. And then you gave us resurrection, shouting to the world beyond a shadow of a doubt that your love can outlast and outmaneuver anything and everything. So how could we do anything else beside join our voices to all those who have gone before us, all those who are beside us, and somehow even all those who will come after us, forever singing to the glory of your holy name. understand. And because we trust that is the best news we could ever hear, that means that every situation we find impossible, you can redeem it. And every brokenness we encounter, you can heal it. And every disparity between your people, you can lead us to level ground. We do not always have the answers, but we know that the answer lies within you. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of faith. These words are bigger than we could ever imagine, O God, and so is this table. Therefore, it needs a blessing and a presence that only you can provide. Send your spirit upon this table, upon these ordinary elements of bread, juice, and wine, and upon we, the ordinary people, who will receive them. For in you, this bread is not just bread, it is life. 
And in you, these cups are filled not just with juice and wine. They are filled with promise. And in you, we are not just anyone. We are your beloved. Eager then for a feast such as this, we pray the way your son Jesus taught us. arrest took ordinary bread and after giving thanks he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying take eat this is my body given for you do this in remembrance of me and in the same way he took the cup and as he poured it out he said this cup it is the cup of the new covenant it is sealed in my blood for the forgiveness of sin And he said, every time you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul reminds us that every time, each and every time we share this bread and this cup, we proclaim the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ until he comes again. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Let us keep the feast.
us pray. Loving God, our hearts have been fed and our soul nourished. And so as we have been served, help us to serve our neighbors. As we have been fed, help us to feed all those who are hungry. As we have been loved, help us to spread your love into this world. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm. 